And now, this is the DDT Wrestling Podcast with DC Matthews and Doc Manson. Doc Manson, I have done many things on this show. I've, uh, you know, I've hit the microphone. We've talked about this and that. I've committed many noise faux pas. Uh, This may be the first episode in which I just take a little nap. Is that like also a major faux pas, would you say? Um, You've... uh, Sure, let's phrase it this way. You've slept with me. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I guess it could be. Yeah. I don't know. I'm still playing um, with my webcam, and I don't know why. Okay. Because it's going to bother you because these things... When something bother does, me. Yeah. When something doesn't quite work, you are, you are going to try to figure it out. You must have an answer. So the fact that we are using... Accurate. Yeah, the fact that you are switching between filters or different webcam how many webcams do you have it's just one webcam but um obviously i can let skype handle the uh the webcam itself or i because of the graphics card i have in this computer it also has a piece of broadcast software which can put the camera feed through it which basically just allows the graphics card to use its fancy cores to you know do a better job of blurring the background and not like making blocky things next to my face and hair like it mm-hmm. it's not perfect but it's way better than the default skype so really this is for your benefit not mine i was gonna say but at the same time uh, have i complained about the never, quality never. of blur but dang it dc i have it so I might as well be using it. Well, and if it's not working, that is going to be. Yeah, and I just I had just updated my drivers Irksome. the other day, so I kind of presumed that broke the functionality because that happened to me one time before, and for whatever reason, I just had to reinstall the software that handles the webcam, which is what I did, and now it's working, and here we are, and you're sleeping. DC, why are you going to fall asleep? What's with the faux pas falling asleep? <sighs> so I'm not going to get into it. Everything's okay, but there has been some extended family drama-rama, um, and it has been weighing heavy on my heart and mind. And so we went to bed around 10.30 last night, which is late for us, and I've been up since 2.30. I woke up at 2.30. I don't know about you. I can fall asleep, you know, in, in the early evening hours, my brain shuts down. I pass out very, very quickly. But if I wake up at 1 or 1.30 or 2 in the morning, that is when my brain is firing on all cylinders and I cannot shut it off. Hmm. So I woke up at 2.30 and was spiraling, spiraling, spiraling. So after about an hour of laying in bed trying to sleep, hoping for sleep, wishing for sleep, I just got up. You didn't sleep at all? I slept, like I said, from 10.30 to 2.30. So I'm operating on about four hours. Now, is this really just because of the things going on? Or because like in my case, I would also like I'm also tired. Um, and of course, I don't have anything nearly as 
potentially upsetting as what you seem to be describing, but it was uh, that that tiresome daylight savings thing here just I, recently, and that really always throws me for garbage. I, I feel like that can't have helped, and I feel like this year it's hitting me harder. I left work yesterday at 3.50 in the afternoon, and it was, um, the sun was setting. Yeah. And I was like, that doesn't feel right. Because I worst. know this is this is the early part. Like, we have another four to six weeks before we get to the shortest day of the year. So, because when you leave, it's pitch black, right? Can be, yeah. If you're leaving at like five-ish, if you leave campus and such. Yeah. I will admit, these days, I don't tend to leave that late anymore. Um, but certainly back in the day, yes, that would have been the case. How many hours a week are you on campus now? Um, let's see. Jeez, my, my math is failing me. 8.30 to 4.30 is eight hours, right? Correct. So, I mean, so I, I would say I'm doing seven hours, uh, but three times a week. So like 21 hours, I'd say, is what I'm doing currently. I will mm-hmm. occasionally go in on a Tuesday or a Thursday and put in some additional hours. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, typically I'd say I'm 21 hours on campus. Certainly so, putting in more hours than that in total. I was going to say, but, so like, so I understand you have an exam Friday. Yeah. So walk me through what your day is going to look like tomorrow. I would love the ability to work from home. I don't think I'd do it. I think I'd just be home. Yeah. So what is your what does your day consist of? Tomorrow, actually, um, the missus is going on to campus for an event that's happening. So I'm going to go as well. And I so I told some students that I they could come to my office to talk over content with me. So I'll be there probably till lunchtime. And I'll probably then go get lunch. And then depending on how I'm feeling... I either stick around to the missus wants to leave or I'll go home and go back for her later. Unclear. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to, to more to your point, I assume you're asking me, how do I prep for an exam in my off time? I, I, I just mean a typical, a typical weekday that you're not at work. How many hours are you expected to be on the clock on a Tuesday or a Thursday? Um. The nice thing about positions like these is that there really isn't an expectation so long as you are getting everything you need to get done, done. Um, So along those lines, I will make an effort to respond to emails on the days that I am home. Typically, I'll get up, you know... uh, I want to say I get up around 7.30, but that's a lie. Mrs. Manson gets up around 7.30. Some days I roll out of bed at 8 o'clock. More often it's 8.30. Let's be honest, closer to 9. And (laughs) I go downstairs and I might make a bowl of cereal. I might eat uh, eat that, have a, a mug of coffee. Before I got COVID, I was going downstairs, downstairs to the double, but downstairs to the basement to actually like run or work out. But I have fallen off since I was ill. 
I have tried to go down there a few times, but I cannot seem to get back into the same rhythm. But that's not what we are talking about right now. Uh, I was going off on a tangent. And then so, you know, I kind of just sort of leisurely doing whatever I want to do. And then maybe around 9.30, 10 o'clock, I open up my emails. I respond to whatever happens to be there. And that's, you know, I might check again throughout the day. Sometimes I'll get a phone call from one of the people that, like, coordinates my labs for me, and I'll have to take that. But, you know, how, irritated, how irritated are you when you see the phone ringing and it's from work? Not terribly. Um, yeah, not terribly. I view it as, eh, it's business hours. They need to get a hold of me. It's fine. Well, I'd be lying if I said I sometimes feel like not answering because, of course, I feel like not. I see the phone and I go, bleh, bleh. Okay, all right. That's how I feel about that, too. Like, uh, my my boss, when she started a year and a half ago, she was like, I'm big into phone calls. I really firmly believe that you're better off calling a parent rather than emailing. And I went, <laughs> I have had one parent phone call this year and I'm still mad about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but like, you know, again, I, I, um, depending on the week and what's going on, um, you know, this week, for instance, I went to work, I gave a, a lousy lecture. <laughs> I had about an hour in between. I gave a much better lecture for the second class. Uh, from that, I had a line of queue of people uh, lining up to ask me questions. I was in the hallway answering questions to like 12.20. The class gets out at like 12.05. I only realized that it was 12.20 because one of my peer mentors walked by and said, hey, don't you have office hours right now? And I said, oh, yeah, I do. And so I ran upstairs. The people who still had questions for me downstairs came in tow with me. We went up to uh, this little library room where there was probably 25 people waiting for me. And normally I do group of, group office hours for about an hour, but this is my last group office hours before the exam. And usually, honestly, like those sessions go as long as the people there have questions. And so most weeks that means maybe we talk for 40 minutes, 45 minutes, and then we're out of there. I don't really give the full hour on a weekly basis. Today, I was there till 145, 150 or so. And then I knew that my next one on one meeting was going to start at 215. So I scarfed down lunch uh, as quickly as I could. And then basically at 205, I was opening my door again. The next person was there by like 208. I said, come on in. We started talking. And then I had people in my office every 15 minutes until I left. At like, I don't know, quarter to four or something like that. How big is your office at this point? Because um, I'm thinking I'm thinking of your old office, which, you know, the two of us in there was pretty much as much room as we had. Um, my old office? This is smaller than my old office, so. And you had 25 people? No, well, the 25 people was in the library, which is kind of like across the hall. Um, oh, so it's okay. a bigger room. So That's a, a bigger room. room. My office, I really only meet with people one-on-one. So compare it in size to the room you're in currently. Like, is it? I'd say half, half the size. Wow. Okay. It's a weird shaped room, too. It's kind of long. 
and like it's a concrete wall that it's more narrow by the door and then it opens up kind of where the desk is so like it's a weird shape and yeah it's not good i'm pretty sure it used to be like a cold room or something and well anyways it is what it is um and then to like this weekend last weekend rather you know i knew the exam was coming up this week and again when i'm on campus i'm pretty much just meeting with people nonstop, you know what I mean? Like there's no downtime to actually prep anything. So on my Tuesday, Thursdays is that's when I'm like prepping for my next lectures, ideally. And when I've got something like an exam coming up, like for instance, I was just working on Sunday. I probably put in, uh, Mrs. Mance is probably a better judge than I, cause she was probably watching the dogs, but I'd get throughout the day. I probably did. I don't know, a good seven or eight hours off and on, you know, maybe four hours towards the morning, four hours in the evening. Cause like, it takes a long time if you're, you know, trying to put something together that is good and makes sense. And I'm trying mm-hmm. to basically make an exam and a practice exam at the yep. same time to try to get some degree of sure. uh, comparability between the two. So students can actually feel oh, prepared yeah. ideally for the exam from the practice exam, indubitably, et cetera, et cetera. And we're back. Okay. Um, I, you know, I, I agree with everything you said. Consistency between exam and practice exam, utmost importance, uh, validity, reliability, all of those great words I learned in statistics class. Certainly no audio. You learned a lot. Certainly no audio troubles at all. No, none. Um, yeah. So, you know, like, it's it's as you said it's um it's very tempting especially on my tuesday and thursdays to do as Mm -hmm. little as possible but i'm definitely putting in the time in various places i am sure that as time goes on my amount of time will continue to dip and then i'll be living the good i was gonna say you know i would love to work three days a week but uh, yeah i also understand and knowing you as i do the dedicated person who wants to do the best work possible you are spending time answering emails and probably hating life while you're doing it you are spending time prepping exams and wanting to make sure they are you know the quality that that is expected of you and that you expect of yourself so yeah i mean you know part of the issue also is simply when you have a class this large like the number of people who will complain about stuff is yeah. high. So you really need to do what you can to cut that off before they have anything to complain about. I don't know. Kind of just again, goes with the territory of what this job really How is. How are you feeling in regards to this is exam four of five, correct? Yeah, I'm feeling fine. I don't know how they're feeling, but. Um, so as I mentioned, this weekend, I, I did spend a significant amount of time putting together an exam and a practice exam uh, sort of simultaneously. And, you know, I am working with these undergraduate students this semester. I call them my uh, peer mentors. They sort of run these sessions where students can go and ask them questions. But really, it's more than just a office hour type thing. There's homework assignments on a weekly basis, and these sessions really are meant for students to go and get help with the homework assignments, not only to get help with them, but so there's a place they can go 
to like learn how to solve these types of so problems. So are these you know? undergraduate students, people who have taken your course already? Yes, and they did quite well. Okay. So are they getting paid for this? They, in a just world, absolutely would be. Um, but no, they are not. Instead, they are doing it for course credit, which I think is something of a ripoff, but I am in no position to change how, how many this credits works. do they get? One to two, depending. Mind you, one credit is considered to be three hours in a classroom plus additional prep on a weekly basis. That whole thing never made sense to me. Uh-huh, I agree. Just don't even, don't even talk to me about it because I worked for a long time as a graduate <laughs> student where you work lab sections three times a week and a three-hour lab section only counts as uh, one credit. So, yeah. Yeah. Talk about getting ripped off. Even for pay purposes as a graduate student, if you're teaching as a lab teaching assistant, you get paid as though you're doing a one-credit course. It's a total scam. But anyway, okay. Um, so you know, they're helping out with that. Um, and anyway, so I put, you put together this exam over the weekend, and as I'm putting it together, uh, I'm using questions that the peer mentors have contributed as well. And as I'm going through putting this thing together, I'm getting the feeling in the back of my brain a little bit. Eh, I think this is maybe a little bit more difficult than ideally I would like this to be. Um, but you know. Whatever. I have to get this done on a deadline. I got my practice exam out to people Monday morning so they'd actually have time with it. And it's out in the world. And so the peer mentors took a look at the practice exam after it was posted. And honestly, I was thinking about sending them a message and being like, hey, folks, I'd like you guys to uh, maybe take uh, the probably the I probably would have asked them to take the actual exam and I, I feel like, and I mean, I wouldn't have said anything up front, but you know, in the back of my mind, I feel like it's kind of difficult. I want to see how these people do on this before I make any judgment calls. Uh, but regardless, the practice exam went up on Monday. And I think overnight on Monday, I saw it Tuesday morning. I had an email from one of my peer mentors saying, hey, hey, uh, doc. Um, so this practice exam, it's, uh, it's a little bit difficult ain't it? <laughs> and I wrote back and said, hey, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I was thinking about asking you guys to check some of this stuff out, but I think your email kind of tells me everything I need to know in that regard. Um, so I've been working a little bit since then to sort of scale back the actual exam. The practice exam is what it is. It's already out in the wild. Um, definitely a little more difficult than I would intend. But yeah, so I'm scaling back the proper but isn't exam that now. A good thing? Yeah, sort of. It's a good thing because in theory, if you're prepped for that, yeah. you're prepped for the if real thing. If you prep thing. for a Category 4 hurricane and you only get a Category 2 hurricane, that's good. Right. Um, but, you know, in terms of people with exam anxiety and things like that, there's something now among students where they like to see, I think, I think they like to see as high of a degree of similarity between the two assessments as the instructor is willing to give. And so as basically to say, the more, the better. Um, and so in scaling back my actual exam, I, you know, it's going to resemble the practice exam less. But ultimately, ideally, hopefully, still a good thing. 
but we'll see how it goes. Did you decide to do the peer mentors or is this something that existed prior to you? Um, it did exist prior to me. However, I think this is something that me and the instructor back when I was the lab coordinator for intro biology, we sort of actually sort of piloted this thing to try to put together essentially the same thing for the lab courses at that time. And I think since we piloted it in the department, it sort of took off and other people started doing it. So I, I do think it's something that I helped create way back when, um, but just now has become more of a thing. And now I am just doing it in this position. Although, yes, the person certainly who was teaching this course before me had also a um, peer mentor group that they were working with at that time. And most classes at this point have something similar. Really, what this has been born out of is there is this movement in higher education now where because of the way finances, budgets work, there basically are there is no money to give instructors teaching assistance for especially for the lecture portion of mm -hmm. courses. And so unfortunately, one person really cannot manage courses with 500 people in them, which is fairly routine at our institution. So they need help from somewhere. And at the moment, we've defaulted to these relatively unpaid positions. Um, I say relatively unpaid because I think some departments are trying to find money for these folks. Mine currently is not. But I will say of the departments who are trying to find money for them, they are getting paid well below minimum wage in a way that is completely insulting. So there's always going to be taking advantage of students and all of this, you know, how close are how you say close that, are you, but I hope that's not how close are you to getting a building or a wing of a building named after you at this, at this university? Cause you keep talking about all these, like the exam structures, oh, great say, changes. You're doing this, you're doing that. Um, if I started at like a score of zero and we're working towards a score of 100 to get that wing, I think I'm probably somewhere around a negative 5,000 at this point. I just think nobody appreciates me. <laughs> nobody in any position to do anything. Seriously, nobody who actually is above me appreciates any of the things that I welcome, do. Welcome and in fact, to episode they probably are, 300. They are probably openly antagonized by the things that I do for various welcome reasons. Welcome to episode 386. Nobody appreciates Doc. Nobody. Just saying. I just think that would be the ultimate form of giving you more praise would be to slap your name on a brick building. I'd love it. It ain't ever going to happen. I am a cog in this great big machine. I am expendable. I cause people too many headaches. I have not made any friends in high places. That is not a thing that is ever in my future. I, I think I think we'll get there. Maybe not at this university. Maybe you got to go. You know. <laughs> Definitely not at this one. Well, at this one, you know, in order to get your name on the building, you have to give them money. Yes, which they don't give me so that I can't give any back yeah. to them. Like I'm thinking of there are two buildings. They're kind of twin buildings on the other end of campus that a lot of like 
undergrad liberal arts and sciences classes were in, maybe some history classes. And I know them by name. I don't know who they are. I don't know necessarily. I know that the school of, of education there is named after someone who just gave them a bunch of money. Not even affiliated. They just renamed one of the newer business, or I'm sorry, one of the newer buildings on campus. It was just a generic tree name for, well, like the last, I don't know, decade or so. And they just named it after our last president. They renamed it like yesterday. They put a new sign out front. So uh, by president, I mean of the okay. university, not, say. not of the, not of the United States. No. Yeah. Now I'm just looking it up. I'm like, who is this guy? I don't even know. Oh, he was a linguist. Oh, and he did. It's a it's a she actually. Oh no, I'm thinking of the one of the two twin buildings that I'm. Oh, uh, okay. Professor of Romance and Classical Languages for 34 years. Okay, you can get a building named after you if you do that. I think if you stick around there for another 30 years, you'll get your name on a building. I think if I were a tenure track professor there'd be a slight possibility. The fact that I am a non-tenure track professor tells me there is zero chance of that. I think you could get tenure track. I think you just bide your time, wait for the right opportunity, schmooze the right people. I will say switching from non-tenure track to tenure track is something that almost never happens. I I don't know how that works. At this stage of careers. You know, I know how tenure works in my job. It's stick around for four or five years, you get tenure. I don't know how it works at the collegiate level. Yeah, there's literally jobs that are not tenure track. Like, you will never earn tenure unless you get a different job that is tenure track. And yeah, the right opportunity could come along that I apply to that thing and I stay at the same institution. But honestly, that happens like... It might as well not happen. It happens that often. You know what I mean? I'm just saying you're special enough that it could. They might make an exception for Doc Mance. And I know nobody appreciates you. They, they, the, any of the people that are in charge of anything currently, uh, I do not think would do okay. so. In fact, I think the last uh, position that I, I was in, I think I've heard, you know, people through the grapevine uh, as they were you know, looking to replace me. We are not looking for another Doc Manson in this position. So I don't think I am appreciated. Are you a rabble? Are you a rabble rouser? Do you rouse rabble? Evidently, that's good. If you mean I, I have a spine and I refuse to just lay over and let you do any sort of inane bullshit just because you think you have the right to do so because you are a professor and I am a staff member, yes. you can eat my. That is exactly what I mean by rabble rouser. Because yeah. I'm. I haven't made I any friends. Sometimes in a similar position where they're like, oh, we're all going to do this. And everyone goes, okay. And I go, mm, but what about this? I, I was a manager for in a completely different union. And when we were being taken advantage of, oh, you better believe I let people know it. I wasn't going to stand for that bullshit. My staff loved me. Unfortunately, they are not naming buildings. They should. Um, I'm jumping topics here. Yeah, go ahead. I'm curious to know, because I have something I want to ask you about, but it also could potentially be your piece of positivity. Is your piece of positivity um, 
a movie that you have seen or is it a is it is this related to the text i received earlier this week your question hold on no so i was going to say that movie has not come out in the united states yet so no i did not ask you a question i sent you a happy godzilla day that's true. But you sent it to me on the day that Godzilla Minus One released internationally in Japan. Yes. So, that I didn't know. But unfortunately, that did not release okay. here. It does not release here until December that 1st. Was, that so is not, not my question, it. but it is about a movie that is coming out. Would it be something that had a teaser trailer released recently? Yes. Yeah. I, uh, no, no, I, I don't think so. Probably not my piece of pie. Okay, good. Because I, I watched the trailer today. I... I did not work today with my four hours of sleep and drama-rama. Um, but I watched the teaser trailer, and I said to myself, I don't know that this is going to be good, but it has more elements that I think Doc will appreciate. I presume we're talking about Ghostbusters. Correct. Frozen Empire or something of that nature. Yeah. Have you seen the yeah. teaser trailer? I have. And? Um, I think it looks like a fun movie and I think I will enjoy it probably as much as I enjoyed Afterlife, perhaps more, depending on how much Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray. That was exactly it. All of a sudden I heard Eddie Hutt, Dan Aykroyd's yeah. voice and then I saw Bill Murray and I'm like, oh, if they're going to be in Ernie the Hudson movie for it. any yeah. amount of time, not just like five minutes at the end. I'm guessing they're going to be in it for about five minutes. But um, now here's the thing. I feel like, I think we've talked about this before. It's probably when the 2016 remake came mm -hmm. out that I kind of feel like nobody understands the original Ghostbusters movie. Sure. And I don't think the new movies, Afterlife or this one, understand it either. I didn't um, see Afterlife, but everything I did see in terms of trailers and some of the clips, it did not in any way feel like Ghostbusters. It was, it really was somebody watched, I think it was season two of Stranger Things, where they got those young kids in those Ghostbusters costumes for an episode or two. And they said, that should be a movie. And they made that. And Afterlife ultimately was an enjoyable enough film. I'm ready for more Ghostbusters. It got enough things right. It definitely felt very differently. It was more a nostalgia play. Yes. It was more a, uh, uh, it was more a, a Stranger Things with Ghostbusters clothes on it, if you will, than I think it was a real Ghostbusters movie. Because I view Stranger Things itself as something of a really just a, a nostalgia fest. Um, so sort of similar to that. But the original film is, ostensibly, it is a horror movie, except the three main characters are idiots and they don't realize they are in a horror movie. Right. And so they just have this deadpan comedic reaction to everything going on, even though the things going on around them are potentially serious and could be interpreted a completely different way. Um, and so that doesn't really show up at all in Afterlife. It doesn't really show it all up at all in this teaser. Uh, instead, I think what I'm seeing here is this movie is evolving. It's not quite the same nostalgia play. Um, 
you know, member berries play that they did with Afterlife. Instead, when I the, the vibe I am getting from the teaser is they are moving towards the Avengers. They are moving towards a superhero movie in which the, the Ghostbusters are going to save the day against what appears to be some sort of ice demon that is threatening the world with a new ice age. That's what I got from the teaser. Don't know if that's right, but the way it looked like they were fighting what looked like more like a central villain of the world at stake. Don't get me wrong. The world was at stake in the first Ghostbusters, certainly. But the sheen on it, the production value, um, it just, it it's starting to look the, a little marvelly to me. The cloud of doom is close mm. enough to a sky beam where I could see that Marvel connection. I watched it, and again, I have very little expertise and knowledge of Ghostbusters. I defer to you in all things, Ghostbusters. But it's a perfect film. I I watched the with maybe one scene doesn't make sense. I watched what the teaser and said, this seems like they're trying to get back to a okay, now it's not kids. And again, I didn't see afterlife. But this looked like a let's have a team up, the old guard, the new guard. Paul Rudd for some reason and let's well Paul Rudd was in the last one but let's and then let's do an act we're actually doing more ghost busting as a group yes except I think the kids are going to still be the stars of the show it looks like them and Paul Rudd will really be the group and if they are doing more actual ghost busting Great, because the first one, the first um, Afterlife was more of a coming of age tale. This girl sort of yes, learning about yes. herself, learning about her family, etc. So this does look more like that. But it, at the same time, the old Ghostbuster movies were, yes, they had some segments where they they hunted a ghost. But like that really wasn't the point of the film. This starts to look to me like it's going to be more of a superhero-y action film yeah. in in a way that the older films it's, are not. And, you know, if the older films were made today, maybe that's yeah. the route they would I have think, gone. I think but. everything is going to have that sort of Marvel touch to it. I didn't see anything that looked like I am slowly stalking a ghost in a library. No, and that's probably a good thing because it's been overdone in that series. I'm just saying like that, you know, those to me, that is. Although they did have the lions in front of the New York Public Library coming to life and roaring at somebody. So all bets off the table when it comes to the library connection. Yeah, I just remember that seeing, you know, I, they're the, like in the book. It might be even the beginning of the movie. They're in the bookshelves and things are moving. And I remember getting a little freaked out by it and being like, this is creepy. Like. You know, yeah, and then they're it's a horror, and then they're in, yeah, and then they're in there, and they might not even be in a library, but they're in a more of a confined space, and the Ghostbusters are going around and like communicating, and I was like, that was a very interesting way of doing things. That is, they they all seem to be outside. They're all fighting the ice demon outside. I was waiting for the ice demon to have like the face of a recognizable person. I'm all for more Patton Oswalt in the world. Was he in Afterlife? No, you don't like Patton Oswalt. I like Patton Oswalt. Uh, I don't think he was in Afterlife. However, I have seen um, somebody mention this, that in the credits for the new film, 
I'm forgetting the actor's name. But in the original film, there is this dickhead EPA government guy who comes in and basically causes all the problems in that first film when he, such, when he shuts down the protection grid, turning the power off to the containment unit, releasing all the ghosts, causing basically the sort of apocalypse thing that happens in the climax of the film that the Ghostbusters then have to stop. Um, that character's name is Walter Peck. And I believe he is back in this movie. And my guess is Walter Peck will turn into the ice demon or something like that, just because I know he's in the film. And that just seems like the ultimate nostalgia play uh, to get that guy who everybody hates and to make him the antagonist. I hope that's not the case. I hope by being overly reductionist in my thinking to come to that conclusion and they're not going to aim for that low hanging fruit. But if, if Hollywood has taught me anything, it's, they're going to aim for the low-hanging fruit. Have gotten fruit. Vigo yet? No. And I think we're unlikely to, but I would love That's what I'm saying. to get Vigo back. That's what I'm saying. All right. Yeah. Because yeah, I saw... He is Vigo! I saw that, and I was like, I'm so glad this is coming out on a Wednesday. This is the perfect... This is the perfect topic for us, you know. When... Oh, the trailer. I was going to say, when is the movie coming out? Because I don't actually know. Uh, but I feel like it's soon. I don't know. Because again, with hope with all the ice, it's going to be out around December time, but. March 29th. Oh, okay. Not as soon as I thought. I thought it was going to be like January. Just in time for spring. Putting out in March, which means they have no confidence in the film and think it's going to die. Normally, that time of winter is when you send movies to die. So, well, and, you know. Who knows whether or not they'll be able to promote it at that point. Like, I know that some, you know, the new Hunger Games movie, they got some sort of waiver so they can go on, like, the talk shows and talk it up and stuff. But none of these other movies are getting, you know, there are movies that are out that I'm like, I've never heard of it. And they're like, they didn't even bother doing advertising for it because... They, yeah, yeah, like the the actors themselves can't actually do press tours related yeah. to it at this point, since all the strikes going on, yeah. but yeah. 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 Uh, I have no, you know, they, they wrestled in Saudi Arabia, which there's nothing uh, of news to report from that. Um, Hooray. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, oh, Ric Flair uh, has signed a contract with AEW. I thought you were going to say Ric Flair has passed on. Nope. Uh, Ric Flair has signed a contract with AEW and he has gone on record to saying he wants to wrestle MJF. Now, listen, I know that as a billionaire, Tony Khan has no, must have no idea what any amount of money is worth. (laughs) So, like, I'm accepting that as a starting point here. But I will say, no matter what that amount of money is that exchanged hands for that contract, this cannot be worth it in the in any short-term, long-term for this company. I, th- this is a, a decision that does not make any financial sense to me. Although he is still Ric Flair, so... Maybe that means something to someone somewhere. Yeah. So he signed a multi-year deal with AEW. Um, 
part of that supposedly is to be part of the whole last matches of Sting. Because historically, when you think Sting, you think Ric Flair. Um, there is also a deal to support Ric Flair has his own energy drink aptly entitled Woo! Um, That's a good name for an energy drink. That is now AEW's exclusive energy drink. and I, Give me a can of that Woo! And I did see something where essentially the money from that deal is going to like, so essentially it's not costing Tony Khan a lot of money because you know, the advertising for the woo energy drink will help to pay for Ric Flair's contract or I don't know. But, and again, if, if Ric Flair wants to be there and he can be a spokesperson and he can cut promos and say woo and be out there looking ridiculous, that's fine. I have not seen Ric Flair in what feels like half a decade. I don't know that he moves without a walker at this point. I, In my mind, he is decrepit beyond belief. Am I, I assume that is not correct. Otherwise, how could he have gotten such a contract? Uh, but like, no, in my brain, he was not looking good the last time I saw him. And that was a long time ago. He's old. Although I am trying to find a picture to share with you. Because if you want to talk old and decrepit, I got to find it. Um, poor Paul White, the, you know, Mr. Mr. Big Show. Um, I'm not going to be able to find it, but he came out for some match as part of AEW. And there's a picture going around of him just standing and it looks like his hips and knees are not in line with the rest of his body. Okay. It, it it looks sad. It looks sad. So, again, I'm not going to be able to find it in time. Could it just be how he's standing? I I did not see the... I did not see him walking. I couldn't find the video of him walking. but And it could just be the picture, but it just looks... Between the Ric Flair news and then this picture of Paul White, I was like... Why is Tony Khan hoping that somebody dies in in the ring? Why is that why is that a thing? Yeah. Never mind. Huh. Somebody will post it. Somebody post somebody who's listening post it in the uh Discord so Doc can see what uh what poor Paul looks like. But but yeah, that's the big news. Ric Flair. Maybe he'll be wrestling MJF. Okay. That sounds great. I look forward to it. Yeah. I will say, um, I would they finally released in the new version of TVOS for my Apple TV an ability to um use VPNs directly on the device. So I was kind of just testing that out and just checking out my fight account that way because normally when we do pay-per-views i've had to get them like on an ipad and then just Stream. airplay yeah. them over so now yeah it works seems to be working on the device itself and from there i was looking at this aew plus thing for 6.99 a month 
where apparently I get all the television as it airs live. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, huh. Maybe I would watch some wrestling. Every time he thinks he's out, they pull him back in. I, I have said, you know, the moment they have, whether they, they do a deal with Max or they do their own service and all of that, I will happily start from the beginning and watch AEW and, and try to appreciate, you know, because again, every pay-per-view they have, there are at least three or four matches that I would really like to see, but it's not worth the, the investment. So I would like them to make a deal where it is more financially feasible and i will happily give them some jingle to to support it so (sighs) all right all right all right all right all right right. we do have a couple of emails here and i know there's at least one tournament in there so i i humbly suggest we head over to our emails podcast at ddtwrestling.com interestingly enough we have five as i said this may be the first time where our female besties outweigh the male besties in the email department. We have three from our, our female besties and only two from the males. So we are, we are popular with the ladies, especially, you know, your wife and friend of the show, Rachel and Danielle, who has a boyfriend named Lucas, who seems like a very nice guy. So, the first one thanks, comes thanks in. Thanks for letting me just hang out through there in the air. <laughs> first one comes in from Rochelle. Hi, guys. Halloween fun is the subject line. I know I'm a week late, but I love hearing about your Halloweens. We celebrated our first Halloween with Baby Mox last week, and it was a great time. We did a trick-or-treating excursion through a corn maze at our local orchard. On Halloween day, I took him to a story time parade at the library for kiddos. And then we went to a neighborhood I heard good things about for the actual trick-or-treating. There was one house that had an entire display and train ride set up that I will tell Doc about in more detail next time I see him. I think he'd love it. I would love to ride the train. Yes. Come on, ride uh, We are looking. And ride it. And ride it. Woo, woo. We are looking forward to the first Thanksgiving and to our first Christmas season as well. We are excited that Doc and Mrs. Manson are coming with us to meet Santa and enjoy a fun little holiday trip. Till the next time, Rochelle. Thank you, Rochelle. I hope you enjoy your first exciting holiday season uh, as a as a family. Uh, next email comes from Mrs. Manson. What would you do? What, 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 what would you do? What, what would you do? That's a good show. There was no what, show? what would you do on Nickelodeon? Host what would you hosted do? by Mark Summers? I don't remember this one. I feel like that was the show where there was a big nose, and like the contestants had to like go up into the nostrils of the nose to try to hunt. For Isn't that prizes. Double Dare? I think it's. A, I think they're the same. They're essentially the same show. Pretty sure, huh. essentially, they're the same show. Again, no Legends huh. of the Hidden Temple, no guts. But a good no show. guts. But what is what, what really is? Oh, Mo, what would you do? Hi, fellas. I ran across a post which mentioned the most bizarre question seen on a job application. The question is, you have been given an elephant. 
You can't give it away or sell it. What would you do with the elephant? How would you each answer the question? As always, I look forward to your creative answers. Cheers, Mrs. M. I, I feel like I'm not going to be super creative. Like my initial thought is talk to experts in the field and be like, hey, I got this elephant. I don't know if it is better for the elephant to release it into the wild or, you know, send it to some sort of animal sanctuary that is a little more perhaps safer. What would you suggest? And then most likely do that thing. But then am I on the, do I have to foot the bill of getting this elephant to one presumes that seems well. Maybe you maybe you appeal to a nonprofit to fit the bill for you. True, and then they see that you are a problem solver and that you're willing to get things done, and you get into contact with the right people. You solve problems by you know creating connections and relationships and blah blah blah. This is why this is a useful interview question, despite sounding like a load of bullshit. <laughs> uh, me, my my approach is to obstruct. So I would say, hmm. So the only conditions are I can't give it away and I can't sell it. All right, I'm bringing it to a butcher. I'm going to fill three different freezers with the meat and I'm going to be eating elephant for the next 20 years. Would you? And then from a job interview point of view, they know I'm a psychopath <laughs> and chances are I'll be looking for a job again next week. Would you eat elephant if you had the opportunity? I mean, if I had a freezer full of it, I suppose. If you went to a restaurant and, you know, because we go, we go to restaurants and you'll see venison on the menu. You may see elk. You may see quail. You may see gator. At what point do you draw the line and um, I am no longer willing to ingest this animal? I don't know. I think I've eaten all the things that you mentioned. I think I would probably not want to eat something that was endangered. Mm -hmm. So I would probably draw the line there. Is our elephants endangered? I don't think so. I don't think so, but I also don't. I would I would have to look that up. Yeah. Like I know rhinoceri are. Yeah. But I don't think elephants. Because I'm like, you know, you take it to like I could take it to school and it would be such an interesting thing for the kids to see. But I'd also this doesn't this question does not say it comes with an elephant trainer. And I have no training in the care of an elephant. So, but again, that's all part of the question. If you thought of that, Oh, he's looking at the details. This is somebody who really wants to get down and dirty, but he's recognizing where his shortcomings are. And he's looking at how he would problem solve and address this. You know, like again, that's, you know, you, you, that is spoken like, like a person who has hired people before. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I had to do that quite a bit. Uh, I don't think I would use that question myself, but, but yeah, Nate, it's a, it's a fun thought exercise. Nate chimes in with a subject line. Oh no, no, no. And we got this email twice. So it's actually, Oh no, no, no. Oh no, no, no. Good morning ish DC and doc. Everyone is allowed their opinion. Of course, because everything is subjective. False. Two plus two oh, is good. two plus two is four. That is not subjective. Unless 
the government tells you two plus two is five. But have you never read 1984? I did in high school. I'm more just saying there are, as a scientist, surely you cannot agree that everything is subjective. Well, never mind. You're going to agree. (laughs) I think even objective truth can be subject to the perception and subjectivity of the human mind. But is it not still true? Sure. But is it true in all perceptions? If you are a creature that lives in the eighth dimension, do any of our learnings about the third dimensional world we live in have any bearing? No, but they are true. So there's still no more. It's, it's still true, but it may not even be observable to you. Therefore, does it even matter? That's not what if it's not observable not we're discussing. We're not discussing. If, okay, but it okay. we're discussing whether again. Or not so it's if true. you're an eighth dimensional creature and it's not observable, what would the eighth to you, dimension be? Very difficult to uh, even begin to comprehend. Like, I, can't I invite even... you to think. There's some videos like with Carl Sagan, I think, where he describes even like what a fourth dimension would be. Yeah. I encourage you to check him out because he even like goes through the difference between a two-dimensional and three-dimensional. Mind-bending stuff. I re- mind-bending I, stuff. There was a Neil deGrasse Tyson video that blew my mind where he was talking about, you know, um, I think there was something, Anton, a piece of paper. And just the 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 discovery and the invention of shelves and being able to now store things at multiple heights, you know, that like that sort of thing. But I always assumed the fourth dimension was time, but I could be wrong about that. Is the fourth. Some people consider it a fourth dimension, but when you think about the fourth physical dimension, it's a different thing. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch those videos. That's the kind of thing I, you know, Mm. I'll be watching that, and then when I'm awake at 1.30 in the morning, I'm not thinking about stressful stuff. I'm like, oh, man. And then there's the fifth dimension, which I think is a musical group. But what was it? But I'll tell you, Doc, this might be the first real time I've disagreed with you on something. The only thing memorable about Arthur Clown is his look. Maybe that's the point. But with Jason, Freddie, Michael Leatherface, you know why they kill and understand why. Which helps me care about the story, and I root for both sides throughout the movie when well done. And Art doesn't need motivation like the three and the strangers, but would help me care. Art is like Drew McIntyre, where he'll make funny faces and do something interesting once in a while. Otherwise, it's more the same. Maybe the third one will be better being a Christmas movie, but the first two didn't land for me. You're one of the few opinions of movies I listen to slash care point about. Am I missing the point? Am I too dumb for this movie? Uh, no, I don't think you're too dumb for the movie. You just didn't just didn't resonate with you. That's OK. Um, I will say, though, like when I again, when I talk about Art the Clown uh, and what I enjoy about him, it's largely a performance thing, right? realizing the character giving him personality. Yeah, you're right. I don't know what his motivation is from those first two films. Uh, If you go back further, he appears in earlier films, All Hallows' Eve and All Hallows' Eve 2, or at least an entity that is akin to him appears throughout those movies. And there's actually some short movies, some like 10-minute shorts made even before that, um, which I believe are all still canon. And essentially, Art the Clown, his motivation is he's just... A creep like he's literally just stalking women because they're there um some of the earlier stuff where he's much more human i think is actually more creepy than the later stuff because you can sort of understand his motivation even though it's not really present at all he's clearly a guy who just gets his kicks from torturing women um 
And so, like, there's nothing else to know about him than that, you know? Um, and again, I'm not saying that's a strong point. But again, when I talk about Art the Clown and what I like about him, it's from a performance angle. It's how the actor actually embodies him, how he holds himself, the the the, the posture, his motions, his movements, the little ticks, the winks, the nods, the laughing. Like, I don't think... I don't think anyone other than Robert Englund has ever done a good job being consistent in a character. Now, part of that's because you mentioned, uh, you know, Jason, Michael and Leatherface, a different actor plays those guys in pretty much every single movie. The only Jason I like is when Kane Hodder finally came in around, I think it's Friday the 13th, seven. He plays Jason for the first time there, and then he plays them through eight, nine and Jason X. And he's the only memorable one because, yeah, he gives Jason a present. To him, Jason is like this unstoppable, just like being made out of rage. You see him just stalking around and he's constantly just breathing heavily. His chest is just heaving with this anger and this hate, right? But you watch earlier Friday the 13th and some of the guys I've got playing Jason, they're just like, skinny, tall guys, stiff as a board. They don't have any personality or any sort of physical presence, like whatsoever. And Jason, and I'm sorry, Michael is, is sort of the same way. I do think Nick Castle does a good job of portraying him in the first film. And um, I believe they got him to portray that character somewhat in the 2018 remake I think largely another actor filled the role when the mask is down. Um, and I think they did a decent job as well. But you look to like Halloween, I think, I'm not sure if it's him in two. I don't think it is. But more so like Halloween's four, five, even six. Like in, even in those movies, it looks like somebody literally in a Halloween mask playing the character. Like, it looks like, you know what I mean? Like, again, there's no presence. There's no continuity to the character. It just looks bad. And so, again, I think that's sort of what I'm comparing to when I say Art the Clown stands apart as being more of a recognizable individual with actual physical traits that I can appreciate. Um, but yeah, hey, not landing for you? That's okay. Again, as I sort of said last time, I don't think I like the movies very much. I just like the character. Um, I'm still interested to see the third one. Of course, I like practical effects. And if nothing else, again, I don't know if I like the movies that much, but I don't often see any movies with the kind of practical effects that those films have anymore. And that is another reason for me to sort of at least be interested in checking them out, to be somewhat excited about the craft of making these films. Oh, but yeah, didn't work for you, didn't work for you. That's okay. Uh, I apologize. You may have covered this. I know we talked about Terrifier last week, and Art was a guy and then became an entity. Freddy is an entity. Jason was a guy and then becomes something more than that. Yeah. Michael Myers, is Michael Myers always a guy, or is he? is there a supernatural element to him as well? Yeah, definitely. And what about Leatherface? Leatherface is just a guy. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Almost all those series eventually 
move into the supernatural territory. I think it was a natural consequence of the fact they wanted to make a ton of sequels and they killed the villains so many times to in order to justify bringing them back at some point they had to say, look, he's just a zombie now. Get over it. Right. With Freddy, that was never a problem because he was always supernatural from the get go. Um, But yeah, everyone else sort of fell into that. And then Leatherface, at least in the original continuity of the films, that's another one of those things. I talked about how The Exorcist probably never should have been a franchise a little bit on maybe the Sound Scary Halloween Spooktacular. Uh, Texas Chainsaw really probably never should have been a franchise either. The second movie is fun. It's much more comical than the first one. But the first one works because of how raw it is. The second one works because it's an early horror comedy that's just so completely different. The third one, some people like. Most people don't like the fourth one. And, like, the fourth one's just so weird also. And, like, then it just kind of stopped, right? Until Platinum Dunes picked up with the remakes in the early 2000s and made their own continuity, which I didn't like any of those films. I don't like any of the more recent stuff, the Netflix one or any of that. So, I don't know. Like, um... this is a- Leatherface really only had those original four films yeah. and they were spread out across three decades. Like part one was 74 part four, I think was mid late nineties. So like, it's not even like those were made in a short period of time, like the other series that we're talking about. So again, I don't think they ever ran into the problem of having to resurrect this guy countless times. So they never had to go down that route. Really? I feel like this is often the problem, you know, whether it's, well, Star Wars, they just either a movie should, is good on its own and doesn't need to become a series, or the series has to stop at a certain point. And now, granted, yeah. we never would have gotten Jason X without Jason's one through nine. Jason X is a classic. But, and, and again, certain movies can be serialized, but certain ones cannot. DC, do you think you'll ever uh, move to a house or are you happy with your apartment? Uh, yes, to both. We are happy with our apartment and I think I will eventually be living in a house. Have a wonderful Hope you guys night, have a wonderful Nate. night, Nate. Sign for my iPhone SE. Next one comes from Danielle. Those were the days. Hello. Lucas and I are on campus enjoying the busy hustle of college students and our access to the books and resources for continuing education. He's already got his BA degree from a rival school, and I'm slowly paying the university back before returning to complete my degree. We've been enjoying the conversations about academia, teaching, and such, so please keep it up. I refer you to the first 20 minutes of this episode. Call back. We are here for it, while not disclosing things for the sake of privacy, too. What we have both discussed this week was the change of our mental states when it comes to being on campus when we were in our late teens, early 20s versus 30 and 28 years old. Something we both improved on is to not walk with the phone in our hands, engrossed in checking emails, text messages, or social media while walking around campus. Campus is too pretty during this time of year to ignore. Doc, when you are walking to and fro... Do you have your phone in your hand or are you appreciating the beautiful scenery from that end of campus? I mean, when I was 28 or 30, maybe I was looking at the scenery. Now that I'm 40, I'm back to looking at the phone. You also don't have a lot of great scenery in that area. <laughs> no, I mean, the building my office is in is across from a cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. 
Yesterday, we overheard an undergrad student complaining about how the professor was wanting the students to solve a calculus problem. It was similar to how Doc presented the exam results and how it tied to the study material. That student's response with her study group, this is too much work. I hate my life right now. Yep. I brought up that student's remark when we got home. Being a student, actively learning and doing the work to get the degree is a small problem over other issues in the world today. For example, we are working our tushies off to get bills paid, and hearing a complaint like that wants me to show a different perspective to the student or others who make distressing comments like that. But hey, I probably made those same types of comments a decade ago when the only worries I had was how to be a decent college undergraduate and balancing undiagnosed mental health disorders. And I didn't have to worry about rent then either. Man, those were the days. So today's questions. One, biggest shift in perspective from your teens versus your 20s. I'd like to think I became less of an edgelord by the end of my 20s. That's the difficulty. So, But it's definitely on the cusp. I might not have really become an adult until after 30. I don't know. DC's better equipped to answer that question than I. So, dear Danielle, I appreciate and applaud that you and Lucas. Hi, Lucas. Welcome to the show. Um, At 30 and 28, whichever one of you is those respective ages. Um, are appreciating and looking at college students in a different way. Doc and I are 40. So we're looking at you in similar ways to how you're looking at them. We're not judging. I think it's great that you're I'm judging. I think it's great that you're walking around and looking at the scenery. I think it's great that you're, you know, figuring out how to get the rent paid and get the bills paid and do all of that kind of stuff. Every, I'll say few years, but, you know, as, and especially when you get to every decade, although as Doc said, early 20s and late 20s, very different things. Me at 21 versus me at 29, very different. Um, For sure. You know, so you, you will go through these sort of stages. Right now you are at the stage where you are listening to the – um college students whine about how hard their life is and wanting to show them, you know, what real hardship is like. We, well, I won't speak for Doc. I can only speak for myself. I have reached the stage where I, on the rare occasions that I am at a college campus, um, want to call these children's parents and be like, do you know what your child is wearing right now? It is wholly inappropriate. Get over here and get them a change of clothes. I've reached that stage of, old man i am not there yet no so i also am not as you are you are surrounded by it like you're yeah what is what is the average dress for students taking your class sweatpants when you were an undergrad did you go to class in sweatpants I didn't. No. Yeah. It's yeah. difficult for me because I didn't go to as many classes, but <laughs> I no, I went fully dressed. I never wore my slippers out. Slippers are a common thing that you'll see a lot of people wearing these days. 
I won't say it's the majority where it's, you know, the the standard dress for class. But yeah, a lot of people just rolling out of bed with whatever and just heading on out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, biggest shift in perspective from your teens to your 20s. I'll go with late teens to late 20s. Um, had The biggest change in perspective is that for me, money was not something that just existed in the ether. Like when I was even... It's kind of what Danielle's talking about, right? Yeah. You know, even like, you know, I remember getting a paycheck from the lo- from the campus bookstore and being like, all right, I got to figure out how to make this money last and like getting overdraft fees because, you know, my, my bank account was low. But I had very little in the way of, you know, that meant that I couldn't go get wings and a three liter bottle of Diet Coke. Um, so, you know. I, not to interrupt the story, but that just kind of jogged a memory for me. When I, when you got your first paycheck, whatever job you were working, your very first paycheck. Sure. What did you feel when you like, when you opened up that paycheck and you saw the the number of dollars that you had been paid? The first paycheck I would have had would have been at summer camp. And we were an American Camping Association licensed summer camp which meant you did not need to pay your staff minimum wage so i got probably i'm gonna guess maybe 250 dollars for two weeks worth of work once you take taxes out maybe it was up to like 300 because i was getting paid like i think 11 or 1200 for an entire like for eight weeks worth of work. I am sure I was excited because I was not, I was probably 15, 16. I was not in a position where somebody was just going to hand me $300. Um, But I don't remember feeling a sense of joy. I have a feeling you're going to feel some sort of sense of obligation, like you needed to save it, or is it resentment? Where where are we going with this? I just kind of feel like people... Like, especially like in movies, they romanticize that idea of the first dollar earned, right? And you look at it and you go, man, I earned this. I worked hard. Yeah, I know. And like this, this was worth it or whatever. And I can remember having that moment where I, I opened my first paycheck. And mind you, my first job was at a uh, like a little mom and pop restaurant. And yeah, we got paid on a weekly basis. But I think for whatever reason, like I must have worked like three weeks before I got my first paecheck for delays from just being a week delayed and then Payroll maybe getting or started or something. So I remember I probably had, you know, I was in school, still in high school, and then I had probably busted my ass to work like 30, 35 hours a week on top of that, three weeks in. And I remember getting this paycheck and then also seeing the amount that was taken out for taxes. And I think I probably got from that first week of working, a paycheck was probably something like $150 because back then, like minimum wage probably... I mean, six twenty five, six fifty. I mean, I said seven fifty, but you're right. I can remember making six thirty five, so it had to have been. Less I than got that. when I worked at Taco Bell because one of my friends had already worked there. He managed to convince the manager 
to not start me at 640, I got $7. And that was a big deal that I was already making $7 an hour. Yeah, so like I probably brought, I probably opened a paycheck that was for like $120 after working like three, again, probably like 30, 35 hour weeks plus school. I remember looking at the total there and I remember having this moment where I, I, I felt it welling up in my chest. Like I should feel proud of this. I earned this. And I, I very distinctly remember the feeling of that just slowly deflating mm-hmm. before it actually reached that deflating, just kind of staring at the number, thinking about how much work I had put. Because mind you, I just finished a shift as well. I had just been there probably working for seven hours. And then like I was looking at it and being like, the amount of work that I have done. And admittedly, it was probably sort of, it was probably a little bit out of, out of perspective because I had worked three weeks and I was only seeing the pay for one for that first week. But like, it just felt like, oh, this, this was not worth the time and effort that I put into this. Do you still feel that way when you get your paycheck? Not as intensely. Because I do sometimes. But to some level, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I remember, and again, we have talked about this many times, but getting that envelope from the hayride that had 200 That felt like free that, fucking money. That had $250. And I'm like, I came... And hung out with my friends, threw pallets into a pit, you know, broke my leg jumping onto a, you know, blew my knee out jumping onto a hay cart or whatever. But having a fantastic time and getting an envelope with a wad of cat. That to me, we have talked about how nice it would be if after the end of your 830 to 430 day, on your way out the door... Somebody handed you an envelope with whatever your month, like just every so often you got paid in cash. Cause again, we, at this point, we don't, I don't get checks. I imagine you don't get checks. Everything's direct deposited. So this, this imaginary number that should for all intents and purposes exist on the fourth dimension went from that computer screen to my computer screen and yes it means i can go to an atm and get money if i want or it means i go to this other screen and click a couple things and pay all my bills and then go okay well my money's gone now that's the perspective i think we're getting to i think danielle might have said follow-up question oh no i like this she's i like danielle's thoughtful questions that is some of the biggest difference between 20s to 30s is you get paid and your money's just gone fair uh biggest difference in your communication skills from your 20s versus 30s i started listening to people um i know it sounds ridiculous no but it's true i was i've been but i, I, was I, there I for stopped treating people as props in my world <laughs> i st- I stopped just saying the next clever thing that came to my mind because, of course, you want everything that you say to be a quick-witted quip sure. of some sort. We are all the main characters in our place. Yeah. Um, and so I actually started listening to people and for the first time in my life, perhaps communicating with them, I would say, throughout my 30s. And it's something I still struggle with on a daily basis. But I think I have become... In- 
much better than what I than what I was when I was twenty mm-hmm. or twenty one. Um, that's true. Communication skills. In my twenties, when I got mad, uh, like really mad, um, often the result was a, an an explosive outburst, not directed at anyone, but throwing a water bottle, you know, elbowing a, like slamming a door, elbowing a wall. As I got into my 30s, it became much easier to go. I am upset because, and then magically, hey, when that happens, oftentimes I can talk about it with whichever person that I'm dealing with and usually feel better. That was a big thing. Not, yeah. not immediately. And a lot of it was just I was so defensive about things that when you get defensive, you escalate. If you can figure out how to tamp that down, communication becomes easier. Conflict resolution becomes easier. Uh, number three, it's November. What are you saying no to this month? For me, that's a big nope to negativity. Oh, Danielle, I wish. The the Pope has I I'm I gotta pope it back up. I'm I've been I've been a piss poor Pope. Uh what do you say no to? Nothing that I can think of. <laughs> I'm eating my leftover Halloween candy. At the moment I'm saying no to exercise, but that can't last. I gotta get back down. Yeah. Um uh, I don't know. I had in the last in the short term and maybe this is something I will work on um, I'm I'm going to try to start saying no to letting how other people feel affect my feelings about myself if that makes sense um, but yeah no otherwise I just ate a bunch of chocolate covered pretzels and a whole bag of turkey jerky. So, you know, I'm, I'm also I've, gonna go eat some jerky when this is over. I've said That's no. A good call. I've said no to moderation, but I gotta, I gotta start saying yes to that. <laughs> Always we- a good thing to say no to. The weather outside ramped back up to eighty again after a cold front of thirties to fifties. I managed to get sunburned Sunday during my morning walk. Ha! Here's we're kind to of the brighter in the side of- situation. We were warm over the weekend. Now, now we're, we're back to again. the thirties. Here's to the brighter side of life. Cheers, Danielle. Our final email for the week comes from bestest of all besties, Glenn. Say cheese. Hi, guys. I listed 16 cheeses, and I put them through a random generator. This is the matches that the uh, fakes came up with, so uh, here they are. Monterey. I hope you're at least heard of most of these. Good picking and eating. Glenn, double N. Glenn, double N, period. Uh, Monterey Jack versus Edom. 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 I've never heard of Edom, Edom, so I'm going to go with Monterey Jack. I've eaten that. I have heard of Edom. I have seen Edom. I don't think I've eaten it. I will also go with Monterey Jack. Feta versus Halloumi. I have also had Feta and not Halloumi, so I will go with Feta. I've had Feta and I've not had Halloumi, so I'll go with Halloumi because I don't like Feta. Uh, Brie versus Cheddar. 
Uh, I've had Brie, and it is disgusting. The runnier it is, the less I like it. So I will go with cheddar. Cheddar as well. Blue cheese versus mozzarella. That's interesting. I like a good blue cheese for like pairing with my hot wings. However, I do not like real blue cheese. The one that actually have the veins of mm-hmm. blue mold through it and has that real blah, blah, blah flavor to it. Um, that just tastes not good to me. So I'm very picky about my blue cheeses, and I don't think I actually like real blue cheese. Uh, so I will go with the mozzarella. Also agree. Red Leicester versus Wensleydale. Never heard of either of them. Agreed. Camembert versus Gruyere. I've heard of them. Haven't tried either. I think I've had Camembert, and it was fine. I don't remember loving it. Uh, Gouda versus Stilton. I have not had Stilton, and I think the only Gouda I've had has been smoked. Which is good. So I will go with the Gouda. I think he made this last one up. Stinking Bishop versus Cheshire. I I don't think he made it up, and I have not heard of either. So I have no horse in the race. I'm going with Stinking Bishop just for the name. Eh, Fair enough. Um, I'd also like to point out, he did not say it's a tournament. He just said those were the matchups. So All right, so we're done. Congratulations. Round one is over. Doc Manson, please give me your piece of positivity. We know it's not Ghostbusters. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, I don't know what it is. I'm trying to think here. I've been so busy this week with, um, honestly, prep and things. What have I done? Um, Oh, you know what? I'll go with this. Why not? Mrs. Manson is a voracious reader. Um, She likes to read. She usually sets herself a goal of, 12 books a year, which is to say at least one a month, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it can certainly add up. And, you know, I think it's an admirable goal. I probably have not really read a book in the last four years, maybe. And, you know, maybe I read a book at that time. And then before that, it might have been another four years. When I finally did graduate with my doctorate, I read probably like eight books from the Wheel of Time series, like back to back to back to back. So I probably read like 4,000 pages inside of like a month and a half. And then I stopped and I never finished that series. I should someday. Um, But before that, when I was doing my PhD, I did not read for pleasure at all Mm -hmm. for the better part of a decade. And I used to love to read when I was a kid. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And so, you know, something I haven't really gotten into again in my adult life, although I probably should. Anyways, a few weeks back, Mrs. Manson made me go to the library and she highly encouraged me to get some books while we were there. She loves to get books in the library. So I I hunted the stacks. I found a couple of different things. I did read them. And... The first one that I decided to read was just a complete random pick, really off the shelves. I was just picking up books, reading the back cover, and this one book caught my eye. Uh, It it was described on the back cover as, geez, I can't even remember what the quote was, but it compared it to 
basically Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. It was a horror novel about a haunted house of some sort. And, you know, I'm reading the back. It's about these two girls that survived something that happened in this house and their friend didn't make it out. And now years later, they have to go back to find out what really happened or whatever. And so it was just kind of a boilerplate back of the book sort of description. And I'm sort of looking down below at some of the other quotes. And then I see like, this is a, like, like, you know, another author giving a a cover quote for this, like a trans, uh, like a transgressive piece of punk rock literature that like puts transgender uh, in the spotlight. Like I was just like, it just didn't make any sense to me at all. And I was like, huh, this seems interesting. I don't know. It's some sort of haunted house book. And apparently it's by a trans author and something like, I don't know, like it's getting these rave reviews or whatever. And I said, ah, what the heck? It seems a little more serious uh, maybe than whatever. I'll pick it up. I'll read it. And I read it and it was a really difficult read. Like the way it was written, some of it kind of stream of consciousness like really difficult. Like the main character is a trans woman and like she has a drug issue um, because she's trying, she's dealing with trauma from this event that happened before. And like it takes place in the modern world. This was written in like 2021, maybe like she's making like sissy porn on OnlyFans, like as a way to make money, like, you know, like basically as like a femdom style thing, degrading men, Like, it's, like, real-world, like, stuff, like, real serious, and, like, I don't know, like, I don't know, like, it was really hard to read to get through some of it, and, like, some of the read, the writing, again, was, like, real heavy, and, like, you had to reread, like, you had to be real, real deliberate in reading the passages to actually get the intended meaning out of them, and I don't know, like, I finished it, and I was just, I looked at Mrs. Manson, I know she actually likes, like, real literature, which is not something I tend to read, I tend to just be at home in genre works. And I said to her, I I think you should read this. She doesn't usually like genre stuff, but I was like, I think you should read this. I actually think you would like this. Um, and so she read it. It also took her a little while to get through it. And I just had a great experience, especially as she was going through it and reading. We had our own little book club for a change. And like she wanted to talk about different things as they were happening. And we talked a little bit back and forth. And there were certain things I didn't want to talk about because I knew more from the fact that I had finished the book. So we didn't really have a full discussion until she finally finished it. And like it was just a really nice time to talk about this thing sort of intellectually with somebody else. And it was it really was, I think, a great book. Um, And yeah, it's sort of a horror story, but not really. Um, It's actually from an English author. It takes place in the UK. And like, it's very much influenced, I think, by, you know, the current political climate there. Um, You know, I think some of the stuff from Brexit even sort of is the underlying theme for some of it. And like, yeah, man, like there's, there is a, there's like a line in the book that really sums it up for me. Like the character, uh, Alice, our main character there, she says, I forget exactly what the, what the line is, but basically she she is aware of and she has read The Haunting of Hill House. And she says, you know, but the thing with Hill House is it was apolitical. Um, our house wasn't. And really, like, this story is an allegory 
for the UK and really the world at large. And there's certainly parallels to be made to the US. Like the haunted house really is an allegory for fascism. And they even talk about like how this has been here before the house was built, will be there after. It talks about how like the, the house like infects the world and other lands and how because and there's even parts of it that go into this to like, you know, the idea that the imperialism of the UK and the fact that all of these Western lands were settled as a result of, you know, spreading from the UK, those same sort of, you know, underlying things, the fascism have spread as a result of it all starting from the same place. And like, again, some of it like really hits it on the head. Some of it's a little bit more, um, you know, hidden. But like overall, I, 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 if I had one complaint about it is I think ultimately it's too on the nose with a lot of the stuff. But like, I don't know, man, it was really, really good. Um, like one of the women of uh, the other main character, Isla, she's like um, a Pakistani woman who is sort of a lesbian, but you know she hooked up with Alice and with best friends with her through college. But like, and the, when the book picks up, like they don't talk to each other anymore because of what happened in the house. And the, the book starts with a trigger warning from the author saying, you know, this is my decision to include a trigger warning, but you know, my publishers aren't to blame, whatever, whether or not I should include this or not, whoever my decision. And so like, there's heavy stuff in this book. Like, so again, trigger warning, I guess here, like both of them have this recollection of having been raped by the other when they were in the haunted house, which is why, as you can imagine, they are on bad terms. Hmm. Right. Um, and again, it just does really interesting stuff with like this concept of believing women, right? This is like post me Too movement stuff on Twitter. So like, who do you believe? Do you believe Isla, who is biologically a woman? Do you believe Alice because she is a woman as a trans woman? Do you side with one of them because one of them is more like you or better fits what your definition of a woman is? Like all that kind of stuff is in play in this book. And it's it ended up ultimately being really, really cool and thought provoking in a way that I, I, I didn't think it could be. Uh, anyways, the name of the book uh, was... Tell Me I'm Worthless by Allison Rumfit. It was, I thought, really fantastic. Although, again, if anything, if I could fault it for anything, at times maybe it's a little too on the nose and it's just the author speaking to the audience. But I'd never read anything like it. You definitely have to have a liberal mindset to be accepting of any of the countless messages that it's trying to get across to you. But I just... I really liked the way that it was using a traditional genre trope to really tell a very different, completely story about fascism and the real world and the hate um, that we see all too commonly all around us, I feel like, in today's modern world. Um, really, really enjoyed it a lot. So, yeah. And I really enjoyed our little book club. So that is my piece of positivity. Sorry for going on forever. Uh, DC Matthews. Is that going to inspire future book clubs? Maybe. Um, when I was reading that, Mrs. Manson was reading another book called Starter Villain. This was a very unlikely pick for her. It was this, this novel about this guy whose 
billionaire uncle dies. And it turns out the billionaire uncle was essentially a Bond villain and he has left everything to him. And so he basically has to step into this villain organization as the new leader. Um, and that was a lot of fun and a nice way to, I think, maybe decompress mm-hmm. from all of the heaviness uh, of the book that I brought to our book club. Um, so, yeah, we did that. Whether there'll be more in the future? Yeah, probably. We'll, we shall see. There's podcasts. Again, we don't, we don't tend to read the same type of stuff. So I don't know how common it will be, but... There's a pod, there's a podcast in that the Manson Family Book Club, yeah. Alternate, you read a book that's more hurdle speed. She reads a book that's more your speed. You go through, you read some of the classics that maybe you haven't read before, you haven't read in a while. Uh, there's there's something to that. Uh, you opined for quite a long time about very serious topics, so of course, I will talk about something ridiculous and trivial. In um, if you go back to your your Roku TV and you watch some old <laughs> emo emoji, um, <laughs> if you watch some old British baking show, specifically the season with John and James and Brendan as the three finalists, at one point James, who is the Scottish sort of scientist, he's very much a Doc Manson type. They are, they always talk about he he considers his kitchen his laboratory. Um, he makes a one ingredient chocolate mousse, and I've watched this multiple times. And all of a sudden, I kind of turn towards the TV and I'm like, "You can't make a one ingredient chocolate mousse." And he starts explaining what to do. And I looked into it, and you can make a. It's two ingredients if you count water. Um, so today, I took. Uh, four ounces of dark chocolate chips and three ounces of water, put them in a saucepan, melted the chocolate. You got to go kind of low and slow. You don't want to burn it. Stirring, 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 get it all incorporated, transfer it into a glass bowl. Now what they want you to do is they want you to take a smaller glass bowl, put it into a larger glass bowl that's filled with ice. Because the whole idea is you want to slowly cool that mixture down. Um, And again, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know the exact science of it. But in cooling it down slowly with the ice, you're allowing something that doesn't have any dairy in it to get that sort of mousse texture. Um, I did not have any. We don't have ice cube trays. So we did not have any ice. So I used a bag of frozen blueberries that we made this summer when we sort of froze them. And sort of propped that up. Um, and I'm beating it, beating it, beating it. And the recipe that I found said, you want to stop when it starts to get gloopy and thick like frosting. And it was starting to thicken. And I was like, I don't want to take it past this point because then it can get grainy. But it looked more like pudding. And I was a little disappointed. And I said to myself, self, even if you made chocolate pudding out of this, this is still pretty cool. Threw them in some ramekins, threw them in the fridge. Half an hour later, happened to check on him. It's moose. Like it is. <laughs> it is. It is dark. And it is dark chocolate. It is rich. It is. You cannot eat a lot of it, but it is. I. My wife came home, and it was the first thing I had her taste. I had uh, picked up a lobster, and we had had this big, sort of fancy dinner, and um. But I had her taste it, and she was like, "That's." chocolate mousse like you went and bought that from 
a store. And I was like, no, it, it is a quick and easy uh, way to make a delicious dessert. So if you have, they say dark chocolate, I assume you could do it with milk chocolate. I don't know. Um, but if you have some chocolate chips and water uh, and a little bit of know-how, you can make chocolate mousse uh, on your own. Highly recommended. Sounds delicious. Uh, you know what was delicious? This episode, even though Doc claims that nobody appreciates him, we all know that's not true. And we will, as always, heap the praise upon him as he is. Uh, I just meant that work. I know. Uh, Doc Manson, anything else you would like to say before we head out into that good night? Well, if you'd like to have your thoughts written in the air, send us an email, podcast at ddtwrestling.com. And if you like what you've heard, don't know how you could have, but you can head over to patreon.com forward slash ddtwrestling to give a little bit of financial support to DC. And Doc, it does help us keep the lights on. It keeps this podcast train a-chugging. He is Doc Manson at Doc Manson. My name is DC Matthews at the DC Matthews. Have yourselves a lovely uh, it's Veterans Day, so enjoy that if you celebrate. Uh, until we meet again, my friends, uh, won't you be our bestie? <laughs>